go to the Word of God and we could find verses on this person's life that would share with us how he was an unbelievable leader, a fantastic leader. I could go to other verses in Scripture today and share with us that he was an incredible follower, a very loyal follower. He was the kind of man who had a keen sight for, for we could say, talent. He could take note of people that had incredible potential. And, and yet this same man had the same ability to look to the lives of those who were hurting. And to just kind of sense, you know, there's, there's something going on beneath the surface there. And I want to give them some special attention in this time. Uh, he was a man that lived a life that was profoundly used of the Lord. And, and what led him from the ordinary to the extraordinary was that little extra that we call encouragement. Encouragement. We're going to see today that this one we're studying was a world-class encourager. We're going to study today a man by the name of Barnabas, and, and you'll find his name really sprinkled throughout the New Testament. But what's important to me is not just that we find the name of Barnabas throughout the New Testament, but the New Testament is filled with the names of those that Barnabas helped and encouraged and blessed. And, and uh, Barnabas was a man who accomplished so much in his life, but hear this, he accomplished much in his life by helping others accomplish much in their lives. And uh, that really was the key to his extra. And uh, as we've done in our other studies, it's going to be a little bit of an overview on the life of Barnabas. So I'll get us started by reading some verses today that are very central to what we'll be studying. And then we're going to look to other passages in the course of our time in, in God's Word. So if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to God's Word, Acts chapter 4. And if you're glad to be in church, say amen. Amen. We're going to get to the Bible, and uh, we're going to be helped. And uh, you know what I like about, about preaching and teaching on encouragement is, I think if it's done right, it encourages you. But if it's really done right, it encourages you to encourage others. And I love the thought of addition, if I can help one and one and one. But when you guys go out and help others, that's where we get into the realm of multiplication. That's where this message can have an exponential impact. It means your homes can be better, your workplace can be better, your neighborhood can be better. So we want to learn today so that we can live what we find. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to read, beginning in verse 36. The Bible says in Joseph who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is, being interpreted, the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, there's a powerful truth in verse 37. We have to understand the context, and we will get to that. But I love the way the Bible tells us of Barnabas in the midst of verse 36 that he was called the son of consolation, son of consolation. And obviously we'll develop this idea more, but uh, that just means he was someone who consoled others. Today we would say he was an encourager. And uh, he's got a lot of encouragement for us today as we, as we study his life. Our Father, thank you for the time we have here today to learn and grow. God, I pray you'd bring a holy hush on this room. Um, let us be quiet in your presence so that as you speak through your word today, that that's all we hear. Limit the distractions and open our hearts. God, I believe this is a message that not only can make all of us better as we let you do this through us, but it's a message that we can take wherever we go that can help others to be the best they can be for you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
How many of you, as you were growing up, you had a nickname? Any of you had a nickname? Good. I won't ask for what those are, but uh, I had a couple nicknames growing up. One nickname I had was Apple Chapel. My last name is Chapel, and I don't know where Apple Chapel came from, but it rhymes. And, uh, and so a lot of my friends called me Apple Chapel, and that didn't bother me too much. It was, I guess, a friendly enough nickname. And, and uh, I had another friend who watched a movie way back in the 80s. Any of you alive in the 80s? Yes, more and more I'm meeting people and they're like, 80s? Yeah, no, I wasn't even around at that time. But at any rate, uh, there was a movie called The Goonies. I don't even know that I ever saw it, but there was a character in that movie called, called Chunk. That's what they called him. He was a little, little kid. And, and so I had a friend that for whatever reason, he decided that was going to be my nickname. So I had another nickname growing up. It was Chunk. And, and it didn't quite fit, you know. Uh, I, I grew very quick and then I stopped growing. I mean, in sixth grade, I was like six feet tall and like, you know, 120 pounds or something. And uh, I, I wasn't the a picture of that word chunk, but a lot of people called me chunk. Some people called me apple chapel. I thought that kind of fit, you know, and other people called me chunk. And sometimes nicknames fit and sometimes nicknames don't seem to fit. Uh, I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of these NBA playoff games, but I am a big basketball fan and I like to catch the scores and get on Sports Center and see what happened. And, and uh, I, I, I love watching basketball. I remember back in my day, if I can again go back to the 80s, I know it's uh, prehistoric times for some, but uh, at any rate, there was a lot of good basketball played back in the day, and, and uh, there was a player in that era who played for the Utah Jazz, he was a guy by the name of Carl Malone. Carl Malone was incredible. He's a great basketball player, but he also was a hobby. He was a bodybuilder, and this guy was just put together, man. He, was, he was, uh, had an incredible physique. He was a great basketball player. and In fact, he was so consistent in his play, they said that Carl Malone, he would deliver every game. And uh, as that kind of got expanded upon, it was, you know, rain, hail, sleet, or snow, he's going to deliver. And so he got the nickname of the mailman. And the big idea was he delivers. He delivers. Well, one time the Utah Jazz were playing the, the uh, Chicago Bulls, and it was in the NBA Finals. It was near the end of the game. It happened to be a game that was on Sunday. As Carl Malone got fouled, he steps to the free throw line for two free throws at the end of the game that would have sealed the win, and he shot an incredibly high percentage of free throws. And it was at that time that one of the Chicago Bulls players by the name of Scottie Pippen walked over, and after the, he whispered in his ear, and after the game they shared what he said to Carl Malone. He, he walked up to him and he said, Carl, don't forget, uh, the post office is closed on Sunday, so the mailman don't deliver on Sunday. So here he is at the free throw line getting ready to deliver to give his team the win. What did he do? He missed both free throws. The Bulls got the rebound, got it in Michael Jordan's hands. He made the game-winning bucket. That was the first game of the playoffs, and, and the, the Bulls went on to win the championship so sometimes nicknames fit and sometimes they don't seem to fit so well but but I want you to know today that we find a man in scripture that received a nickname if you would that fit him absolutely perfectly Barnabas was a man that lived an incredible life but the Bible tells us that his given name was Joseph now Joseph was a version or a derivative of the name Joseph and Joseph was a beautiful name, had a beautiful meaning. Here's what Joseph means, to add increase or do again. I like that. So his given name was Joseph. And whenever he'd walk around, it was, it was as though someone said, hey, here's the guy, he's going to add increase. He adds value. He brings blessing and grace and favor, and, and he's consistent. That was his given name. That's pretty strong. I wouldn't mind having a name with that meaning, and especially if I lived it out of my life. But, but really nothing described him like the name that the apostles gave him. They gave him the name Barnabas. 
Now, whenever you see a name in the New Testament, it has that B-A-R, bar in the front. We see it a lot. Uh, Barabbas and Bar-Jonas. And bar, bar means son of. And, and so as we get to the name of Barnabas, we know that it means son of. And the last part means consolation. It means one who is an encourager. And that name, Encourager, really fit Barnabas because that's who he was and that was what he did. It was a perfect fit for him. And really, he comes into the church at an absolutely perfect time. Now, there's never a bad time to encourage someone. And there's never a wrong person when it comes to encouragement. I have found that all of us need encouragement just about all of the time. Even when we're doing well, we could always use a little more encouragement. But it really was a perfect time in church history for someone like Barnabas to enter uh, into the pages of the New Testament. And we know that the first church was incredibly used of God. We know that it was empowered by God the Spirit at a religious feast called the Passover. And, and when the church began, it was amazing, incredible things happened. Let me, let me just read a verse to you out of the New Testament that tells us about the first service in the history of the church, all right? Acts 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine if we had a day like that at Coastline? 3,000 people getting saved. By the way, I want you to notice, the same day they got baptized. They didn't go to a 12-week class or any of the rest of it. They understood baptism is a way of declaring, I'm with Jesus and I'm with those other ones that are with Jesus as well. And if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've received him by faith and you've not been baptized, I would encourage you based on the example we find of others who've gone before us, man, go ahead and follow God in believer's baptism. It's a great way of testifying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. So they, they come to uh, really what we would call church now. It was the first Sunday. People were just showing up there, Peter preaches and, and thousands get saved thousands get baptized and then by identifying with jesus and those who had already identified with jesus they then were added or we might say joined into the fellowship of the church can you imagine a day like that at coastline you guys would have to give me smelling salts and wake me up you know and and to tie rocks to my legs so i didn't float away with joy and, and happiness but it was incredible thousands of new christians Thousands of people identifying with Jesus. Thousands of people added to the church in a single day. By the way, you turn the pages of Scripture, there's another Sunday coming up where they had 5,000 in one day. It was just incredible what God was doing to establish this new work that we call the church. But what's interesting is a lot of these people that came to know Jesus, they were in town in Jerusalem to attend this religious feast. They'd come from other parts of the world. And when they came to know Jesus and when they were baptized to, to demonstrate outwardly what had happened inwardly and as they identified with these other followers of Jesus, they thought, you know, I don't want to go home. I want to stay right here with these people. I want to learn more about Jesus. I want to be taught. I want to be fed. I, I think we could use the word here. I want to be discipled, which means I want to learn more how to become a follower of Jesus Christ. That was a good decision that they made, but here's what it meant. It meant that there were now thousands of new church members, if you would, who were unemployed. In a sense, they were homeless and they were hungry. They had a lot of needs. And what we find in Barnabas is he was the kind of man, man that he saw a situation like that and he said, you know, I think I can do something to help. I can bless these people. I can go out of my way to make sure that I'm putting the courage in them that they need to do well in the course of their lives. And so as we get the context of his life and when it is that we get to know him, 
we'll learn several thoughts about encouragers. If you have your notes nearby, here's where it begins. Encouragers take note of the needs around them. Encouragers take note of the needs around them. Now, recently we studied the life of Nehemiah and we saw that he had the ability to do that. And that's how Barnabas was. He could he could feel for the needs of these new believers. Now, they were overjoyed at their new life in Christ, but they had some needs. And so in a sense, we could say they were hurting. And Barnabas was the kind of man that that said, you know something, I noticed there are people around me with needs. His heart went out to them. He was compelled to do something. In fact, in the verses we read as we got started The Bible told us in verse 37 that he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Why did he do that? He wanted to help people in need. And so he used the money that he had to to bring so that people could be helped. I recall this day in my life very vividly. I was working at a church in Tennessee and I shared an office with a co-worker and one day he came in and uh, he he, uh, was talking with me and he said, Steve, I've made the decision. I'm going to leave ministry. And... um, Of course, that was his decision to make, but it was a little surprising to me. See, for me, I've never felt like ministry is a is a job. I always felt like it was a calling and it's not exactly like the mafia, but for me, it's kind of a life thing. You know, I I, I don't believe I I can walk away from what God's given me to do. And he shared with me, I'm going to leave ministry. And again, that was his decision to make. But but I I said, listen, let's talk about this. And and uh, we had a great conversation. And in the course of that conversation, he shared with me, he said, Steve, I've just been so discouraged for months just so discouraged. And and as our talk went on, we discovered some things that led him to to change his mind. And, and, uh, And yet I left the office after that talk today feeling horrible. And here was my thought. How could I work in the same office with this guy for months on end and never notice that he was so discouraged? I began to wonder, have I ever asked him how he's doing? Have I ever done anything or said anything to let him know that that I care? And so often we cruise through life at a breakneck pace without ever slowing down enough to sincerely ask those even that we care the most about. Hey, how are you really doing? And if we do ask that question, so often we rush to the next topic before even an honest answer could be given. But Barnabas was in tune with those around him. Listen, he just had a sensitivity to the people in his life. Like Jesus, Barnabas cared about people more than anything else. I like the verse in Philippians chapter 2 where the Bible says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And the Bible's teaching us the value of caring for those in our lives. There are people around us every day that need encouragement. We need to have the kind of heart that's very sensitive to those who have that need so that we can we can meet it. It's interesting that the call of Jesus to see the opportunities we have to share his love with those around us was a call that, that, was, that began with changing our focus. Jesus said, listen, if you want to be an effective minister for me, here's where it's all going to begin. It's going to have to begin with the way you look at things. And Jesus used the people of the world in a, in a way that was analogous to a farm field and crops that were ready to be harvested. And listen how Jesus here is kind of given 101 of being a faithful uh, minister for him. In John 4 and verse 35, Jesus said it this way. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. 
Jesus said, if you're ever going to make a difference with your life in the areas that matter most, you're going to have to lift up your eyes. What was he saying? Your eyes are on the wrong things. You're focusing on the wrong things. Why don't you lift up your eyes and look on the fields? He was saying, why don't you look at the people around you? Why don't you take note of where they are and what it, what it is they need? And I want you to know today, if you're listening, say amen. Encouragers don't necessarily see better. They're just better at seeing. They just take the time to slow down and they, they lift up their eyes. They see those around them and they care about what it is that people are going through. Encouragers take note of the needs around them. Here's the second thought we find this morning. Encouragers are willing to give. Encouragers are willing to give. You know, it's one thing to see the needs around us, and of course it has to start there, you know. It's one thing to do that, but it's really something entirely different to actually roll up your sleeves and, and to get involved. And as we've already seen, Barnabas was the kind of man that when he saw people in need as this new church was getting started, he, he had some land and he thought, you know, I could probably sell this land and use these, these uh, resources to help the people. And so the Bible said that he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And of course, uh, they would get it to those who were in need there. He was the kind of man who was willing to give. What I love about this giving for Barnabas is nobody compelled him to give, nobody urged him to give, nobody manipulated him to give or tricked him into giving. In fact, I can't find in the scripture even that anyone asked him to give. He just looked around and saw a need and he had the kind of heart that was sensitive enough to say, you know something, I've lifted up my eyes, I've observed a need, and now I want to do something to meet that need. I want to be a giver. I want to give. It was his desire based on God's provision to him to give to help those who had needs. You know, one of my favorite definitions of encourage, I use it often, encourage. What does it mean? It means to put courage in, to put courage in. The term itself implies giving. It, it implies there's someone with a deficit of courage. By the way, that's all of us. In one way or another, we all deal with fear. And so if you put courage in, you're giving courage to someone who has a need for it. Think of that. Sometimes as we give encouragement, it's just giving time to provide company and to be with someone. Sometimes it's, it's providing our ears, so to speak, just we can lend a listening ear. Sometimes it's sharing a good word and, and it's giving in that way. And, and there are times certainly when it's giving in a material sense. How empty it is when, when we see people in our lives who have obvious needs and we kind of float out a week Hey, if you need anything, let me know. Boom, we're gone. It seems a little insincere to see needs, obvious needs, in the lives of people many times right around us and, and say, hey, if you need anything, as if they don't. Proverbs 3, the Bible says this, withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Now listen, no one person can do everything, but all of us can and should do something. Jesus taught us this in Matthew 25. He said, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. I love what Jesus is teaching us there. He said, our, our giving may go to others, but Jesus says, don't think for a moment that I'm not seeing this. He said, in a very re real sense, when you're giving to others, it's, it's as though... You've given to me. You're a giver. When our church was just a few weeks old, uh, we, 
made a decision that we'd have a special service uh, for a midweek Bible study, and uh, I wanted to have a guest speaker. And uh, when our church got started, I, I was very young, and uh, I'm still very young, by the way. Laughter. I mean, really, I thought that'd be a great place to say, you know, amen or something like that. But I got laughter. Um, I was very young. I uh, was 26 and, and uh, every everybody I met, you know, who's the senior pastor? You know, I'm like, I am They're like, you look like a junior, not a senior, you know, and and uh, I was hearing that all the time. I thought, you know, we're going to have a guest speaker and I'm going to get a really old guy who is roughly the age I am now. OK, so I thought we're going to get a guest speaker to come in and and that that'd be nice to uh, maybe give a little credibility to what's going on here and. And so I thought, all right, midweek Bible study, which met in a beautiful cathedral, our living room. And uh, uh, I said, we're going to have a special service. And I invited everybody, encouraged everybody. And as I recall, we had 12 people that night. And uh, as, the, as the evening got started and the faithful dozen finally were getting ready to roll in, we were getting the house ready. And, and uh, uh, Lisa's always a great host. And she was kind of doing all the things she was doing. And, and uh, so we're, we're in there trying to get things ready. And and uh, as we were talking, Lisa said, Steve, I want you to know, we, we don't have any food. And, um, you know, a lot of times ladies will use words like, you know, I don't have any. And when you dig a little deeper, it's like, yeah, you do. You know, so I thought this is maybe hyperbole, metaphor, something of this nature. And so I opened the fridge to check for myself. And apart from the perfunctory box of baking soda, which does what? I have no idea. Uh, there was nothing in there, which is problematic. Our kids at the time loved to eat, you know, and this, this is a real issue that we'd been presented with, no, no food. And um, I, I was going to say I'm old-fashioned. I, 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 uh, I don't think it's old-fashioned. I, I think I'm just a man. And there's something about a man who finds a sense of fulfillment being a provider for his family. And when this realization hit me that Man, I've led my family all the way across the country. We're just a few weeks into this new endeavor, and my wife's got to announce to me just before church, hey, hon, you need to know when it comes time for like breakfast tomorrow, there is none. Emotions are the weirdest things. You guys know what I'm talking about. You've all been very sad and just like having a great day, and you hear one thing, and all of a sudden it's like just this wave, you know. Um, oh, man, this wave just overcame me. I thought, I'm a total loser, total loser. And... Uh, when you get down, everything tends to look down, you know. So I'm like, I'm a total loser. And then I thought, good night. I'm having a guest speaker to our living room. I'm a bigger loser than I've even realized, you know. Who does this? And only 12 people are coming? I've altered the course of my whole life for 12 people? Just discouraged, man. And... Uh, I remember that night, I, I was just so, so low. I thought, you know, I think our run at Coastline may be a whole lot shorter than I ever anticipated. And, and as all these thoughts were running through my mind, our guest speaker for the evening showed up. His name was Dwight Tomlinson, a great friend. He's spoken here, and, and uh, he pastored up north in Newport Beach. And, and uh, you guys know it's a really wealthy area. And I thought, you know, what, a, what an embarrassment. This guy comes from a wealthy church with a lot of people. And he's coming down to meet in my living room. And I don't even have any food in the fridge, you know. And uh, just a pity party. You know, I was just, I was, I was throwing a first-class pity party for myself. And, and uh, then our guest speaker arrived. And, and he walked in. And uh, God the Spirit came with him. And his energy filled the room. And uh, he was just an encourager from the moment he walked in. He had something good to say about everything. 
he had good things to say about the warehouse was decorated. And Lisa uh, had made coffee and, and we had some cookies there. And uh, uh, he said nice things about that. And as the people began to arrive, he had nice things to say about that. And as we had our Bible study, it was just so encouraging and in the way he taught things. And I was starting to feel a little better by the end of all that. But really, I was still pretty, pretty down. And, and as as the evening was kind of winding to a close, I half expected he'd run to his car as soon as he was done, but he didn't do that. He hung out, talked to everybody, and was very kind, and, and he said, Steve, come out to my car with me, and I did, and when I went out there, his uh, car was completely full, trunk, back seats, completely full of food. He told his church family, and uh, listen, one of these days, I'll say something like this to our church family. I have a lot over the years, but I want you to be people like the ones I'm getting ready to tell you about. He told his church family, hey, I'm going to preach for a, a young kid starting a church. I'm sure he's broke. Probably not a lot of food in their fridge. He said, let's have a food shower for this young family. And uh, so uh, I went out to his car there in, in our driveway, and it was jam-packed with food. And I'm, Lisa remembers that, I'm sure. They got a case of microwave popcorn. We ate off that for a long time. And, and uh, uh, it was just, it was awesome. It was just great. And uh, we had so much fun carrying that in. And, and, and listen, you know, kids get excited about anything, but they're jumping up and down, excited about Captain Crunch and all the rest. I mean, we were just uh, having the time of our lives. Now, look, I cannot confirm to you I would have quit the next morning. But I can assure you I would have thought about it. I was discouraged without courage. But someone came into my life and encouraged, put courage into me. And it changed everything. Now, one day in heaven, we'll be able to see the cumulative good that came as a result of Coastline Baptist Church. But I believe with all my heart that in part, a pastor by the name of Dwight Tomlinson and some people who didn't even really know who I was at that time who gave food, I'm telling you that in part, they're responsible for any good thing we managed to see done here. Because they gave courage to someone who had none. They were encouragers. I like the way the Bible says in the Hebrew 6 and verse 10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Listen, friends, like Barnabas, Pastor Tomlinson, he gave us what we needed more than anything that night and what we needed more than anything. It wasn't food and it wasn't even finances. We needed encouragement and he gave that to us by way of his giving. That leads us to the final thought this morning. I want us to see that encouragers don't care who gets the credit. Encouragers don't care who gets the credit. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Now, Barnabas is a great name in the New Testament. So he's got a great name in the New Testament. It's not the most prominent name, however. If I were to pick the most prominent name in the New Testament, apart from Jesus, of course, it'd have to be the Apostle Paul. The majority of the New Testament's either telling his, his travels as a missionary or it's books that he's written. There's, there's nobody more prominent in the New Testament, uh, humanly speaking, uh, more than, than the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul. Paul was used of the Lord in, in a powerful, powerful way. He did so without any of the modern conveniences. He literally got the gospel spread to the entire known world. But it wasn't always that way for the Apostle Paul. Once upon a time, the Apostle Paul was a new believer 
His name at that time was Saul. Saul went through a name change in the course of his life, kind of like Barnabas uh, was Joseph, then Barnabas. We first meet the Apostle Paul. His name was Saul, and then it becomes Paul. And, and when Saul was living, he had a full-time job that essentially was this, to persecute followers of Jesus, to persecute Christians. He took some to jail. He, he beat some. He was uh, at, at least complicit in murders. We read of that in the Bible. Probably flat out killed others. One historian says maybe as many as 2,000 Christians died at the hand of this tyrant we call Saul. That was his life before Jesus. And then he meets Jesus. And aren't you glad Jesus can change everything? I mean, Paul was writing one time, and he was talking about all these sins to a group of believers, and at the end he said, and such were some of you. In other words, that's not us anymore, man. God has changed everything. And so Saul becomes a Christian, and he wants to go to church. But as you can imagine, some of those people are a little bit nervous to have someone like him in their church. Hey, that guy built, uh, beat my uncle up or dragged my aunt to jail. We read of this in Acts 9. In Acts 9, the Bible says it this way, and when Saul, again, this is the apostle Paul in time, but and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, or he tried to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. And can you blame the disciples? They were all afraid of him. And believe not that he was a disciple. In other words, they thought this is some kind of ruse. Paul's just trying to trick us to learn more about how we function and so forth, and then he's going to really hurt us. So they were afraid of him. They believed not he was a disciple, but Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And the rest, as they say, is, is history. But here's Paul, and he's having a hard time gaining any acceptance with people of faith for reasons we all can uh, understand. But Barnabas was the kind of guy who would see that and say, you know something, uh, I'm going to come to your side, uh, Saul, when everyone's running away, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going I'm to vouch for you. Barnabas was not concerned about making a name for himself near as much as he was interested in doing whatever he could to make much of the name of Jesus. It wasn't about Barnabas, it wasn't about Saul, it was about Jesus. Barnabas wasn't motivated by selfishness, he just wanted to work together as much as possible you see encouragers don't care who gets the credit heard a story of a ship's captain and an engineer who were arguing about really who the most important person on the ship was and they were going back and forth back and forth arguing finally they came to an agreement that they would switch jobs for a day and uh, just a short time into this job switch, the engineer is, is uh, in the captain's perch and the captain's uh, down below. Uh, finally, after just a short time, the captain comes up. He's covered in grease and sweat and angry. And, and he says, listen, you better come down here. I, I can't make this ship move, you know. And uh, the engineer who's up there as the captain said, well, of course you can. I ran into ground, you know. And the, the point is they, they both needed each other. It might have been entertaining for them to argue who is the most important or who is the best and things of this nature. And what they realized was that each of them had a role. And in their role, it allowed everything to move forward. A big part of encouraging is grasping that success in life, it's not an individual thing. We are to help each other along the way. Nobody makes it alone. And furthermore, nobody is to go it alone. God says we're to be there for one another. The church in Jerusalem, I told you how it got started. Man, it continued to grow in this new thing that would come to be known as Christianity. That, that didn't even come till later. Uh, uh, it was just incredible how it was spreading. 
and word arrives back to Jerusalem that, that there are a lot of people getting saved and coming to know Jesus in a city called Antioch, and Barnabas was a faithful and trustworthy man. So the leaders of the church in Jerusalem said, Barnabas, hey, we want you to go down to Antioch. We hear people there are, are trusting Jesus. We want to make sure it's a good thing. Can you go check it out and let us know? So Barnabas goes down to Antioch at the request of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. We read about that in Acts 11. The Bible says there, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad. Now I'm going to read on. I love Barnabas. It says something great about a person who can get glad about the blessings of other people. You know? I remember years ago, Lisa and I, we got a new car and, and someone told me, must be nice. I thought... Come on, man. You know, that's the wrong spirit to have. We're, we're to have the kind of spirit when, when someone else is being blessed is to say, that's good. I'm glad about that. And so he comes and he sees God's grace at work. And he was glad. And he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man. Barnabas, he was a good man. And full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. You see, Barnabas being a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, that meant he could joy in the successes of others. So he arrives in Antioch. He sees this as a work of God, and he says, you guys are doing great. Keep going. I'm so happy for what's happening here. And in time, this group in Antioch continues to grow, and Barnabas realizes they're going to need some help here. They're going to need some help. A lot of baby Christians... They're going to need someone with maturity to stay and help them. And Barnabas, being an encourager, thought, you know, I can stay here and encourage them, but even I'm going to need help. And it was in that moment that Barnabas, in his mind, remembered a guy that he'd met earlier, years earlier, in Jerusalem by the name of Saul. The Bible tells us of this experience in Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. The Bible says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. First time they'd ever been called Christians. What happened? Barnabas, who kind of introduced Saul, who had become known as Paul, to the church. Years later, he remembers him, and he goes and finds him, and he says, listen, man, you need to come down here to Antioch and help me. And, and Saul says, absolutely, I'll do that. And uh, so there they are for more than a year, ministering and helping people. It was Barnabas and Paul. Listen, listen, listen. It was Barnabas and Paul. It was Barnabas and Paul. Acts 13, 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. God the Spirit says, Hey, you guys have done great in Antioch. I'm going to send you on. And God said, Barnabas and Saul. That's the order. Barnabas and Saul. But a very short time later, there's a change. In Acts 13 and verse 43, the Bible says, Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. That verse is very important, but the point I want us to take out of that verse is, is for a long time now it's been Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul, and something happened. The prominence of Paul grows, and it's no longer Barnabas and Paul. It's Paul and Barnabas, and it would stay that way. 
Barnabas introduced Paul to the church. Barnabas called him down to Antioch to give him that ministry experience. Barnabas was the one that said, come on, Paul, let's go on a missionary trip. But, but the hand of God was on Paul in a unique way. And in time, it was no longer Barnabas and Paul. It was now Paul and Barnabas. And that's a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow when there's someone who's rising in prominence. And it seems as though they're declining. Paul grew. And you know what? Barnabas, he was the one that sought him out and encouraged him. And it was Barnabas who was actually lifting him up. I love that this extraordinary man was more concerned with what was getting done for the Lord than he was with what his name meant to other people. When it came to the headlines, he, he wasn't interested in his name being in the headlines. In fact, he wasn't even interested in the name of Paul being in the headlines. He wanted the name of Jesus to be the one that everybody thought about. And Barnabas was the kind of guy who just really cared less, who got the credit. He just wanted to make sure that things move forward in a good way. Well-known author and speaker Zig Ziglar once said this, Gratitude is the healthiest of all human emotions. Gratitude is the healthiest of all human emotions. And I want to challenge you today. Listen, most of you, if I were to tell you, tell me about your greatest disappointment. Who hurt you the most? What parent? What uncle? What boss? What sibling? What teacher hurt you? You could immediately recall those that have hurt you. And you think on that, and you ruminate on that, and you soak in that, and it's no wonder we feel bad so much of the time. That's an unhealthy thing. I, I want to challenge you today not to soak on those things that have been sad for you. I want to challenge you today to take some time to think back over your life and think on those who've put courage inside of you. I want you to think of, of a parent or a loved one or a teacher or a coach that put courage in you. Told you not what you could not do, but what could be done through your life, what you could become. I want you to think of those who've been good to you. And what will happen if you do that is gratitude will begin to emerge in your heart. Look, none of us have had a perfect life. We've all been hurt. Uh, we, we've all been betrayed. Why don't you think of those good things that have been done in your life? Gratitude will begin to well up within you. And that's the healthiest of of all human emotions. I want you to take some time to think about who has been a Barnabas in my life. They put courage in me. But that's only half of your homework assignment. I don't want you just to think about others that have been good to you. You need to do that. But I want you to ask yourself, who am I doing that for? Who am I speaking hope into? Who am I being sensitive enough to realize that they're going through a low moment and I want to bless them? Who is it in my life that has a tangible need, a material need that I could help with if I, if I really would? I want you to ask yourself today, who am I encouraging? What I love about these extras that we're finding in the course of this Extraordinary series is this. We can all do these things. Being an encourager, it's, it's, not, it's not some superhuman attribute. It's just a decision on our part. And I believe as we determine to do that, we'll be better spouses. Listen, I have no idea where I'd be were it not for a wife that's been a Barnabas in my life encouraging me. Oh, you'll be a better spouse. You'll be a better parent. What, what kid doesn't need a parent who's going to be there encouraging them along the way? You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better friend and a better co-worker and on I could go. We can do these things if we will. God helping us. Barnabas was a man that encouraged. What did he do? He just, it was simple. He just took note of the needs around him. He just took note. 
He wasn't so self-absorbed that it was all about him. He just, he took the time to look around the room. Took note. He was willing to give what was needed. In his case, in a crisis moment, he literally said, you know, I've got some land. I'll just sell that and I'll give the money to meet this need. That's the kind of heart he had. He, he wasn't a selfish guy. He said, whatever needs to be done, that's what I want to do. I want to do my part. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And then he was a man who he really could care less about who got the credit for it all. He just wanted to get the win for God. What a heart to have. Can you imagine how much better our homes would be if we had that spirit? How much better our lives in general would be? Listen, can you imagine how more impactful our collective witness would be for Jesus Christ if we had that kind of heart? Barnabas changed things. We could celebrate all that God did through the Apostle Paul. Let's not forget, were it not for a Barnabas, we wouldn't have heard of someone like the Apostle Paul. Why don't we decide to be a Barnabas today? Our Father, thank you for an opportunity to open your word and receive a very straightforward and simple life lesson from a man that lived it out so well. God, I don't think that any of us set out to be a discourager. But Lord, I pray that you'll help us see today that if we're not encouraging, we kind of are a discourager. We are kind of a bummer. When we're around people that have needs and need for people to put into their lives, if we're not doing that, Lord, we're, we're not putting the courage in you've called us to do. Help us, Lord. Put a name on our mind today. Put a face in our mind today of, of people, specific people that we could go to this week to bless and help and encourage. Our heads are bowed in a spirit of prayer today. And I, I feel like this type of message is one that I could bring about every other week and it wouldn't be too much. Because if you're an encourager, you're going to do good in every, listen, every area of life that God's given you responsibility. If you'd be an encourager, you'd do well at it. I, I've never one time seen a marriage suffer because there's just too much encouragement in it. I, I've never seen one, one child grow up as an adult and say, you know, my parents, man, they just gave me way too much encouragement would change things but now listen if you'll think about it specifically you've got a brother or sister in Christ who's hurting and it very well may be that other than you saying hey if you ever need anything let me know maybe it would be better to just make the decision no I'm just gonna go ahead and do what I can I'm gonna write the note I'm gonna take him out for coffee I'm gonna whatever I'm gonna I'm gonna go out of my way maybe it's a family member Maybe it's that coworker, and you're like me. You've got a coworker that's discouraged, and, and you need to lift up your eyes, like Jesus said, and take note of people around you that just, man, they just need some help. I wonder how many of you this morning would say, Pastor, there was something in that message I think was good for me, and there's somebody in my life, and I think I could be good for them. I could be an encourager. Are there those this morning about testimony? Just a quickly raised hand. <laughs> 